Welcome to episode 23 of The Kevin Rook Show. Today's conversation is with Adam Curry, one of the pioneers of the podcasting 2.0 movement and the value-for-value business model. Our conversation started off with Adam's history in media, uh, his transition from broadcasting to podcasting, how he's seen the podcast industry evolve, and how Apple and Spotify and other players have grown their influence over time, and then what he's doing at the Podcast Index to try and open up podcasting again and make it accessible for all, including the work he's doing on the Lightning Network when, with the value for value business model uh, to make sure that any podcaster can earn directly from their audience using one of the modern Podcast 2.0 apps uh, available today. Now, since this is a Lightning podcast, I wanna make sure I get this pitch right. If you're listening to this show, Right now, I want you to stop what you're doing. Make sure you're on a podcast 2.0 app. That could be Fountain, that's my favorite to use, but there are a number of them available. Uh, And I want you to, at the end of the show, send in sats that reflect the value that you got out of this episode. So if you got a lot of value from this show, send in a lot of sats. If you didn't get much, send in a few sats. That's my feedback mechanism. That's what I'm using to determine how much you guys like this show. So you can send in stats, you can send in comments and questions. I read off all the comments, questions at the end of the episode in the lightning round, Uh, but that's gonna be from now on my primary mechanism I'm gonna use to determine whether or not the audience is enjoying this show. So you guys are the ones that are gonna be able to tell me uh, through the number of stats you send in how valuable this content is. I don't really care about the number of listens of the show. I don't really care about any of the vanity metrics from web two. Um, to me, I want to know that you guys are getting value. And the best way you can show that is by sending in sats to the show uh, when you do get value out of the show. Uh, real quick before we get into the episode, today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Note infrastructure. We'll have more from Voltage later in the episode in the lightning round. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about lightning podcasting, but I realized that to discuss lightning podcasting in depth, it might make more sense to rewind and go before lightning, before podcasting, and start off with broadcasting. Can you talk to me a little bit about that first moment you got excited about broadcasting? Uh, well, first of all, hey, Kevin, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, the first moment I got excited about broadcasting, yes, um, it was uh, my, for Christmas, my parents bought me, and I, I must have been 12, I think, 12, 13, um, the Radio Shack 101 Projects in One. And it was, uh, I actually still have it. It's uh, like a breadboard that has, uh, you know, it's like kind of like a serving tray about this big. And it has all kinds of components on it. You, you can look it up on, uh, you can search for it. They, they, there's a lot of, there's clubs around this thing. And so it had, you know, uh, transistors, resistors, capacitors, relays, microphones, all kinds of stuff. And then you had this bunch of wires that were all color-coded. They were different lengths, like white was the longest and blue and red. And then you had a, um, a book, a schematic book, and you'd open it up. And in there it would say, okay, connect this this end of the transistor one to... You know the, the the this node of the uh, of the transistor, 
um, and do that with the blue wire. And so you kind of learned how schematics worked as you were putting together without solder. And, um, and there was a lot of these really cool projects. And near the end, there was uh, a little project for an FM radio transmitter. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, I put all the wires together. It was by far the most wires for some reason. Uh, and it worked. And I could receive it on FM radio right down the hall. And then I quickly learned about antenna technology because, you know, obviously I want to see. That's when you go, how far can the signal reach? That's what you want to do when you build a, a transmitter. Um, so... From there, I actually got an antenna strung up, a dipole up on the roof. My parents let me do a lot of crazy shit, which is nice. And, my, and I hooked up a record player, yes, vinyl record player, uh, to the input. And again, I just kind of like jacked it all in, you know, I didn't, didn't even have a, uh, a preamp or anything. So just, you know, but it was kind of working. My mom drove me around the block to see how far it would go. And uh, since I, this was in the Netherlands where I grew up, and they had like no commercial radio, it was only. Um, uh, you know, government-controlled airwaves. So the kids in the neighborhood, they figured this out pretty soon, what I was doing, and, and they came over like, dude, that's really cool. You're broadcasting. I love your station. And it was just no a, putting a record on, you know? And so then I built a little mixer, got another record player, added a microphone. So that was really the sequence of events that got me excited about broadcasting, which really led me into a life of, um, of radios, transmitters, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I'm a ham radio operator. You know, I took all the tests. I got my license. I got tons of gear and radios and stuff. So my, my kind of default programming has always been, um, you know, I've also built pirate radio stations in the Netherlands with big antennas and big power and, of course, podcasting. So it's kind of like I've always been involved in the tech, technical side of a broadcast technology Um uh, and that would even include the move to digital in audio, digital in video. And I've always uh, somehow taken advantage of that to broadcast and, and build, you know, audiences and, uh, and really have fun. <laughs> so it started when I was 13. Yeah. So when you were 13, you mentioned it started out of fun. But did you have a sense for how important broadcasting would become and how the technology would evolve and how it would change the way we communicate? Or was this just like a fun project at the beginning? No, um, I wouldn't say about broadcasting, about you know, knowing if it's important or not. It was just a thing growing up. But I do recall my grandmother gave me, a, when I was seven, gave me a, a Sony AM transistor radio. And it was a little, little square block like this. And the 9-volt battery went in, had a handsome leatherette case and yeah, a little twist dial, and I would listen to basketball games with it under my pillow, which invariably my parents would, you know, have to come into my room. I was fast asleep. The volume was full cranked, you know, so they have to turn it off, and I didn't even know anymore. But I'd listen, and, and I'm not a sports guy at all, which is odd because it's such an early influence, but I'd listen to these games, and, and I was fascinated by the picture that it built in my head, much like reading a book, you know, the theater of the mind, Hearing the squeak of the sneakers on the uh, on the floor, hearing the um, the announcers describe the shots, describe describe the plays, uh, the mix of the audience level, you know, you know what the ducking of the microphones, all of this stuff, I was very aware of and loved that part of it. I love sound. I love creating sound um, and uh, and building uh, building a, a place where someone who's listening 
creates a vision of what of wh what the sound where the sound is originating from and what what's in the room or what's going on mm. how how did you make that transition then from traditional broadcasting let's say on radio to then getting into podcasting and, and did you have a similar level of excitement when you first kind of discovered this medium and what it could do in 1991, I think, I met a guy online, uh, Carl Jacob, who was working at Sun Microsystems. And uh, I was doing MTV, I was doing uh, syndicated radio shows, and I was just trying to figure out this internet thing. And, uh, and, I, and I was, again, I was very interested in how can I broadcast? Can I actually put a signal through this wire? You know, because this is really... The World Wide Web only just kind of came. Dude, were you even born in 1991? Not to be a dick about it, but okay, yeah. So you know what I'm saying. So th this was old times, right? And I had a 56k frame relay, which meant it was kind of as fast as a modem, but I didn't have to dial in. It was a dedicated line, so I could run a server or keep a, a computer up on the network all the time. And, and this was it was actually pre-web. And uh, but I had registered MTV.com, and that's how I got Carl's attention. Uh, and he said, oh, dude, I got to show you this thing. Like, watch this. And actually, he was really kind. He sent me a Sun Voyager workstation. Um, and it was this beautiful machine. Again, I still have it somewhere, although the, the hard drive crashed. Um, and it had a color LCD screen that tilted. It was a, a portable. It had a huge suitcase you carry with you. And it, and it ran um, uh, Unix. It ran Sun OS, a Solaris. Um, and so I had to learn that not like, okay, I knew a little bit of Unix, but you know, oh, shit, I got to get this thing working. You know, I was like, okay. And how, just, it was like confusing, but I just, I, I loved the tinkering so much. And then he said, okay, now watch this. And then he started up a song in San Francisco on his workstation and then automatically, boom, a player opened up on my workstation. I started to hear the song. I'm like, dude, you're fucking broadcasting through the internet. That's badass from San Francisco to New Jersey. Holy shit. I couldn't buy like this is this is my mission. And and I actually there was a protocol back in the day uh called the M bone, the multicast backbone. And it was cool because you could then use this multicast uh, uh ring or network of computers and it, you wouldn't have to send out, you know, a thousand streams one to everybody. We we didn't have that kind of bandwidth back in the day. Um, you could travel on, on this multicast network and everyone could kind of pick up the packets. And it was like a broadcast. And I actually did a, um, uh, a rave in, uh, in the Netherlands and we put it on the, on the M-Bone Live. Now, who could see that was really college kids who were, you know, had access to terminals and stuff. And it was really the, the real IT nerds who were participating in it because it was totally complicated. No one, could, no one could see it really except the people doing it. But it was so much fun. So I was already, you know, very comfortable with the idea that somehow I'd be able to broadcast on this thing. Uh, and I just continued to do radio. I mean, I, my, my radio stuff continued well into the beginning of podcasting. Um, and what happened was really a confluence of a couple of things. I'd been, uh, since 2000, I'd been um, working with Dave Weiner on the concept of putting an attachment on an RSS feed so that you could then subscribe to something that would download content and you'd have it automatically and it would be no it'd be a good experience instead of clicking and waiting for something to download it was like a subscription which is exactly what an rss or a podcast is 
And then the second thing that happened is I saw my first iPod. And I'm like, oh, that's the same thing that my grandmother gave me. That's a little transistor radio, and we should be able to receive radio on this through the Internet. And then the light bulb went off, like, ah. So what if I have this RSS feed, subscribe to uh, a feed with uh, files, with sound files, my show, or just whatever we were calling it, and it sees it, it downloads it at night, it updates iTunes, you still had to synchronize the two, and there was no iPhone or anything in the, at the time. And then uh, it would uh, trigger an update, and then there, lo and behold, on my iPod would be a new playlist with the name of my show with an episode underneath it, and you could pick your iPod up and leave and play it. Uh, wow. And then I knew, okay, I know what to do. I need to create a show every single day and get uh, software developers to build these radios because that's really what it was. I, we needed, I mean, the iPod was the radio, but you needed the software to make it work. And that's what we now call a podcast app. And there were no apps. There was no concept of apps at the time. Um, and so I started the daily source code. And with that, I was, I was broadcasting basically every single day only it wasn't going out on the stream. I was putting it on a server, and all these radios out there were receiving it. And podcasting was born. Wow. It was very yeah. natural for me. Although, with all the benefits, like you can start whenever you want. Uh, people can, you know, no longer they have to tune in at a certain time, but they can just go ahead and, and listen at their convenience once it's updated. You know, this to me, and oh, we have feedback loops through email. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of the stuff we had. We had no social media, but... You know, there was this obvious feedback loop, and I know how to use that when broadcasting. And the proof was, with the development of podcasting 1.0, was literally, um, I'd be talking to the developers, and then I'd, I'd talk about what I learned on the show, and, and all the mistakes we had made, or the cool stuff that had happened, or the breakthroughs that one developer had had. And this, this loop just became, it became a show where we were developing the show and the technology to do it at the same time. It was a beautiful experience. And having started from such an early stage in the internet's infancy, um, there must have been a much smaller addressable market on day one when you were just discovering this stuff. Where you oh, were yeah. Thinking, well, the like, TAM, as you're yeah. referring to. <laughs> yeah. The radio the must have been a far larger market. But what was it about the podcasting that got you excited? Was it fast growth? Was it the open nature of it? Like, did you have an idea that that would overtake radio at that time? Well, let's understand first about radio. Radio is inherently a local medium. You know, today it's uh, we don't think twice about a syndicated show that where the host is in New York, but you hear them in Dallas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, etc. Um, uh, Sirius XM is literal uh, satellite broadcasting, so you hear it everywhere. But radio, in its essence, really worked worked best at a local level. So uh, the stations that I that I worked at. Um, excluding the one in the Netherlands when I was on the, the big public broadcaster, which reached the whole country, um, I built many pirate stations that only worked in a city like Amsterdam. Um, so that was, that was the audience, but it was a radio station for Amsterdam. Local radio is still supposed to kind of be about the local area, the local ads, local news. Um, it's no longer profitable to do that. It's just too expensive uh, and there's just not enough revenue and the disruptive, interruptive advertising model is falling quickly out of favor. Um, thanks to streaming apps, no one wants to sit through commercials anymore. Why should I have to? Where's the Hulu of radio? There's your answer. That's podcasting. Interesting. So when podcasting started, um, 
it, I guess it, it took from the, the advertising model of radio. Um, what was that transition like from going from an advertising model to then trying to enable value for value? Because this is something that you've talked about at length. Um, I thought seriously after I'd met Steve Jobs and he'd announced podcasting and iTunes and I talked to him about the business model of selling ads and he agreed. He said, yeah, that sounds kind of like the right way to do it. And now if Steve Jobs agrees with you, you're going to go off and do that immediately. But I, but I, um, I really thought that we could change advertising, that we could have advertising understand, advertisers understand that, the, that really being a part of the relationship that the, that the podcaster has with the audience is where you want to be and not just breaking into that relationship and yelling your message and drilling in a, a phone number or a URL or something for a product. Um, and I failed big time because advertising does not change. They, this particular type of you know, ads, it's, just, it's still what, what advertising believes, um, but it's quickly uh, changing. Um, and, of course, uh, Facebook took a whole lot of the local advertising, which hurt radio, hurt newspapers. Um, you know, I mean, we go back to Craigslist. Newspapers started to, to die when they lost all the classifieds to Craigslist and Backpage and all that shit. Um, mm. um, so, you know, that was, there were several. I even started a company, raised money, was called Podshow. And we just could not do it. We could not, you know, podcasts are inherently not brand safe. You know, this is, if, you know, if the advertiser can't trust what's in the podcast and it's not a consistent uh, product like um, NCIS, you know, or, or some other show like that, then they don't want to really advertise on it because, and, you know, and this is where cancel culture slowly crept in because, oh, that guy said something shitty advertiser a you shouldn't be advertising and what is an advertising i do yeah you're right screw it i don't want to be associated you're not even going to investigate you don't even want to question that you don't want your brand tarnished so that became a real problem and um when uh, john c dvorak and i started doing no agenda now we're coming up on 15 years in october um we knew that we didn't want to have any advertising we didn't even think we wanted any money at all we just wanted to talk and do a, a short show 20 minutes and now you know, we're at three and a half hours easily twice a week. Um, but in the interim, we said, you know, the stuff we're doing is actually a lot of work. So you guys got to pay us. And if you don't pay us enough or for us to, to make it work for us, then, um, then you know, we, we can't do it. And we started off the first few episodes with like, you know, donate $5 a month or whatever. You know, we set a limit on it. And we quickly saw that, that was not gonna, that's not going to help us pay for anything. That was not really working. And then we said, you know what? Why don't you just pay us whatever you think it's worth? And I had a simple pitch. And we didn't call it value for value at that point. But it was a very – and we, we, John and I spent a lot of time looking at different donation models at churches, at nonprofits. You know, we didn't want to be a 501c3 nonprofit because then we'd have still some government control. You know, It's like you can't talk about this or whatever. And the whole point of deconstructing news, which is what we do, is to be able to question the mainstream narrative and by extension question – you know. The, the source of the narrative, which is often the government. So like, no, we don't want that. Uh, and, you know, but we don't want to have to promise people a life in heaven or hell if you don't donate like a church. So we said, you know, this is really such an interesting product. You know, uh, what is a media property worth? Um, for as long as media property has been around, it's always been this artificial, there's not really a market, you know, for what you at home think it's worth. 
your 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 soul, your information is sold, your demographic <coughs> statistics, uh, other things you watch, what you buy in your credit card. I mean, um, that was and it's just shoving your face with an ad, uh, which of course was always static and broad and not personalized at all. Which was the next promise that I think kind of failed. Get the right ad for the right product at the right time. Yeah, okay. Um, all I see is when I buy something, I get an ad for the same thing. That algo is still, and by the way, that works for some reason. So it's so stupid that they keep it in because something works about it. But that's beyond the point. Um, we said, why don't you just, whatever it's worth to you. I mean, you may have, you may think we're full of shit and it's no good. And this was in the no value to you. Give us nothing. Uh, right. If you think it was worth five bucks, give us five bucks. You think, how about this? Um, you listen to us for an hour and a half. You could have gone to the movies. You could have uh, taken a date. You know, you have a, a drink and some popcorn, 50 bucks. Was this worth the same in your hour and a half? Was it as enjoyable? You know, you might not have gotten laid with us, uh, but maybe you had some other, maybe maybe it was better than the movie. I don't know. And within a week, we got a lot of people sending us $5. We got a very surprising amount sending us $50. And there were several $500 donations. And we never look back from there. We're like, oh, okay. And when you think about it logically, if you're if you have ten million dollars in the bank and you really enjoyed something because it was informative or you laughed, five hundred dollars is different for you. That's mm-hmm. your value. I can't determine how much a song or a, a book or whatever is really worth to you. We're artificially pushed into that um, into that um, that pricing structure. Uh, and of course, you know that's gotten really weird throughout the years with you know, Apple and Google taking 30% off the top of anything you put on their app stores. And it's, it's it, and predetermining that, you know, Steve Jobs kind of ruined the music business by doing two things. One, unbundling the album so you could buy individual tracks, which ruined this beautiful product that was an album. Of course, we already lost um, liner notes and beautiful artwork kind of in the CD era. Um, but then it was also um, 99 cents. That was, that was the price of any song. 99 cents. 99 cents. Well, but if I listen to my favorite love song, I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles, it's simple. It's a great love song. I pay $99 for it every single time. Every single time. You know, but they forced me through 99 cents. Now, the default, and so we started to call this value for value, meaning we gave you something of value, which may be worth nothing to you. Please send nothing back. If it was valuable to you, just put a number down, whatever it is, send it back to us and put a note in it. And so we started seeing people um, show up with really interesting numerology that send us, you know, um, 420, you know, $4.20, you know, $69.69, all these weird things. Um, How were people sending money on day one? I'm sorry? How were people sending you money on day one? PayPal. Uh, PayPal, we've accepted PayPal checks, Zelle, bank transfer, money orders, cash, gold coins. We've always said, we, we, you know, if we can accept it, we'll accept it. Bring it on. Um, and so we said, you know, this is not ju- – and this is, I think, key for podcasting. We said value for value doesn't just have to be money. It can be one of three things, your time, your talent, or your treasure. Now, we need the treasure, and a lot of people will find that the easiest to support us and to, to express the value they receive. But we also need a web server, and we need a website, and we need a chat room. And, we need, and if you want to do that, we'll, we'll give you the same credits. Uh, we will uh, thank you publicly. 
um, you will be a hero to us and you will be, and all of you will be from this day forward producers. You're not listeners, you're producers. And even if you support us with, with your treasure, there will be a topic one day that is the thing you know everything about. You know everything about this topic because it's what you do. And we're going to say something dumb or you're going to have some additional information and it's your job to get that to us. And so I built in the background an information system um, with uh, Dave Jones called the Freedom Controller, oddly enough, which is this beautiful content management system based upon outlines where I can store all of this stuff and categorize it. And so, of course, from that, people started to build search engines. And we really said, this is your show. So you can do anything you want. You can register domain names. You can, and we don't care. Just help us out. And that's also value for value. And this created kind of a, a slow rolling, but a very sturdy snowball. And people would see, you know, what time and effort other people put into building things or promoting the show or helping us. We talked about that on the show. And they would then say, I need to send some more money. Because the, what is the default, there's two problems with value for value in our thinking. The first one is, if you give it away for free and say, send me something, whatever you think it's worth, no one will do that. That's just the default programming. And I'm here to say after 15 years and two families, we live comfortably. We're not rich. We live comfortably. We put kids through college. It's not true. You will receive more than you ever expected if you have an outstanding product. I mean, it, don't expect anything if it's not if you don't have a great product. The second problem is the ask. It is very difficult for many people to say, could you please support the show, send money? They feel it's a form of begging. It's, uh, this is for street musicians, for busking. This is tips. No, no. You have to explain and you have to have a pitch and the value for value you know, my example of the movie theater, but you can, you can come up with any example you want. But ultimately, you just have to ask, was this of any value to you? And if so, please put that into a number and send it back to me. And people do it. So this is just plain and simple experience. People do it. And once you, once you try it, everyone has the same reaction. Holy crap, I never expected this. I never expected people to be so generous, to be so supportive. Those are the two things that, uh, that you have to kind of train yourself in for value for value. But once yeah. you start living like that, I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle and it's really cool because you get what you are worth. And that may be less some days. And you know, like, wow, damn, was it me? You know, did, did anyone else have a bad day? Or, and, you know, you've got to communicate with people and you got to talk to them and make sure you're doing, I mean, it really keeps you honest. It keeps you on your toes. And every single show, it's like, how'd we do? Okay. I don't care how many people listen. I don't, I don't care at all. I want people who give me value back. I want the emails. I want the, the great ideas. And of course we also want the financing. So as long as we can satisfy literally our rent and our bills, we're happy. Yeah. And the, and you live a really fucking happy life that way. It's insanely cool. And I'm not at the whim of anybody. And the longer you do it, the bigger your base comes over time, the less wild the swings are. Um, but also, you know that, you know, you know that that's going to still 
be sustainable while you get your shit together if you haven't quite figured it out or if you did so you got off track or whatever it's just it's a whole different way of working and and a way of living right you've clearly found a, a really successful business in this model have you seen it applied to other industries or other verticals perhaps like music and books have you seen examples of people doing this already or do you think that may be something to come once people realize that this this can be a sustainable model there's several musicians who have done this uh, very successfully uh, and have documented their journeys um, doing value, um, value for value. Um, uh, Palmer, what's her name? I forget her name. You know, there's all kinds of versions of crowdfunding for projects. You know, it's, it's all a variation of the same thing. I personally like, because it, it's a, a regular, you know, doing an album is something, I think, different than... Um, then, so you can crowdfund an album with your existing base. Uh, but with podcasting 2.0, we're, see, we're already seeing um, audiobooks, we're seeing albums, uh, podcasts, obviously, we're seeing uh, documentaries show up. And um, there's some extra benefits of podcasting 2.0's value for value system that makes that even, even more fun. Um, so we have seen several podcasts uh, go value for value. They've, many have consulted with us, and we've helped them because there, there's some very actually Dvorak and I have now seriously talking about writing a book and giving it away value for value. So you know anybody can read the book, and then if you get any value from it, then send us some value for the book. You know, well, well, that's how strongly we believe in it because there's some things to it that they do need to do, like reminding people um, that you that your show is coming up. You know, a newsletter. It's very simple things, but once you kind of get into the into the hang of it, uh, right down to how how the IRS likes to see this, um, uh, the structure of the of this company, we'll explain that as well, because um, it's very weird when you have uh, hundreds of payments coming in through cash and checks and bank transfers. Like that triggers all kinds of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, what are these guys doing? What are you? What kind of? What kind of outfit are you running? So, you know, we, we, we already kind of went through that. And so we understood, you know, just some simple things to do there. Um, uh, but ultimately, it's it's a system and it's like anything else. You got to work it. You got to train yourself in it. You got to, I mean, we, we all know how to say uh, like and subscribe, and, you know, smash the like button. Okay, you know, so that has a small, a small benefit at this point, you know, for, for YouTubers. Um, the worst thing you can possibly do, and this is just words really matter. Don't call this tipping. If you're saying, Hey, tip me, tip me something. You're going to get 20% less 15% of what you could have gotten. Cause you're saying, I want a tip. It's like, a, what are you an idiot? Don't be psychologically. You don't work for tips. I would like you to pay me or send me the value that, that is equal to what you receive, whatever you determine that to be. And I will be just as happy with your 50 cents as i will your five million dollars right i really will because it's you know there's a lot of people there are homeless people who send money to us you know it's a direct feedback loop for you to then see the quality of the content you're creating right because you may not get that through an advertiser you'll 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 get feedback from an advertiser if you get more views or more listens but you won't get that feedback if it's higher quality necessarily. How important to you is it that you're being funded by a network of your audience versus an advertiser? Like how, how heavily does that weigh into the equation? Um, like would you take, 
you know, if you had to do this trade-off of like X dollars from an advertiser or like half X dollars from the audience, would you take that? Brother Kevin, I am 57 years old and I have no time for meetings with fucking advertisers or the salesperson or uh, no. Um, and, you know, my wife and I have even discussed what if uh, Spotify offers you the Joe Rogan deal? So at this point in my life, no. No, seriously. First of all, I, I've, I've had a lot of money. I spent it all, uh, I've been, but I've never gone hungry. I know that with a lot of money comes a lot of bull crap that I really don't want. Um, but the freedom to do what I do, however I want to do it, and the only people who can call me on it is the people who support the show and, uh, and my partner, uh, who, I, who I produce the, the show with. And that freedom is worth a billion dollars. It is just, there's no self-censorship. Of course, you censor yourself for all, not to be a dick, you know, I mean, you, you got to do some, but it's not because you have to be worried about saying something, especially in today's day and age, that will get someone riled up enough to go talk to the advertisers or the advertising agency, and then you lose your income, and there's a whole bunch of hassle, and it's not worth it, and it's not a modern way of, uh, of financing media. It's, you know, we have the, in fact, the postmodern method. Mm. Now, why do you think now is the right time for podcasting 2.0, value for value? Why is this the moment where people are going to switch from advertising to this business model? Um, is, it, is it because of the ability to now seamlessly earn money online through, through Lightning Network or, or through Bitcoin? Or is it maybe increasing pressure uh, from censorship uh, and, and concerns about what kind of information you can share, people maybe opting for an audience-first approach. Why do you think now is the kind of right time for this model? So Dave Jones and I started this project uh, about a year and a half, two years ago almost, a year and a half. And uh, the, the genesis of it uh, was, two, was multiple steps, but it, it's... When I met with Steve Jobs in 2005, I guess it was, and you know, he's like, okay, put this in, I want to put this in iTunes, do podcasts. Great. I'm going to give you our directory. Here's the, you know, 3,000 podcasts I think we had at the time, iPodder.org. It was an open directory. It was a cool project by itself. Because uh, I was just thinking broadcasting. I wasn't thinking about radios. I knew that, holy crap, Apple's going to make it much easier. This would be good. That was a mistake in hindsight because what happened is, um, with podcasting being by default highly distributed, I mean, there's 50, 60 podcast hosting companies around the world, probably more. So it doesn't come from one place. I literally made Apple the default on-ramp because of their size. Um, so you had to go through the registration process with them to get into the Apple Podcast app, which... Uh, for a, a, a permissionless decentralized concept is messed up, but it was worth it because Apple, and by the way, Apple was a very good steward. They, they played very nice um, in general. Um, and that went on for a long time. And it's one thing when you, when you're building a radio or a podcast app and there's a couple 10,000 feeds out there, it's another one there's four or 5 million. So in order to actually make an app perform well, I mean, you're now in it. This is always the case with distributed versus centralized. It became a little bit heavy for an app to, to track all of the podcasts. And so what 
all the app developers started doing is accessing this open API that Apple had on their podcast database, their index, uh, because that's how their app worked. So by default, it kind of had to be an open system, and they let everybody use their API to build podcast apps. And there's a very success. There's many successful podcast apps besides the, from Apple, and one is Overcast. And I was listening to Above Tech podcast. The the, uh, the developer, the owner of Overcast app, Marco, he was talking about how Apple had been messing around with their with their API, and if you and it was with their Apple News podcast. And so now, if you queried the Apple News podcast, it would give you back the data, but it wouldn't actually tell you where the RSS feed was. So you couldn't parse that yourself. Now, now they were messing with an openly distributed system. Okay, it's their own, but they, they proved that they were not trustworthy. They're willing to mess with what comes out of the API. Simultaneously, there was this takedown that Apple really spearheaded of several podcasts. Um, Alex Jones, X22 Report, some QAnon stuff. It's like, and uh, whatever, but it was a coordinated takedown. Facebook and Google, everyone participated overnight. All of these podcasts were gone. Now, because all the independent apps were using the Apple database, all these podcasts also disappeared from all these apps. Like, oh no, that's not okay. Same time, I just kind of met Joe Rogan, and I'd done my. I've been on the show like four times now. The first time. Um, and this is where he told me I'm going to get this deal with Spotify. And I'm like, oh, that's really great, Joe. But I got to do something because I have to, you know, because Joe Rogan also left all these apps. This was the number one podcast, arguably. Um, okay, so how do we keep the open podcasting attractive for the next 10 Joe Rogans? Because they'll be there long after I'm gone. There'll be great Joe Rogans and Joe Roganites and Roganettes and whatever. We'll have all kinds of super successful people. So we need to... Um, be able to incentivize everybody in the chain. And this is what's never really happened before. So Apple had no incentive to run an honest open database because they make no money off of it and they provided no support and they kind of do what they want to do. And they, in fact, pivoted and said, there's no money in podcasts and we're going to do subscriptions. We'll just leave this other thing kind of running. Um, value for value or donation-type systems had also proven to be a problem, such as Patreon, which was, it's actually it's based upon what we do um, with levels that, you know, they still have levels and things, and it's not as open-ended. It's a little, but it was more of a platform. And they had also proven that they were willing to deplatform people from the payment world, even for something you might have done on a different platform. Someone had said something over on YouTube. Well, we don't like that you said that there, so we don't want you in your platform. No more money for you. And this started to go down the line to the payment processors, to MasterCard and the people who actually do the money uh, changing, who already are making it hard for uh, even legal um, dealers uh, of in, in states where it's legal of marijuana products and other types of things. So um, now you have a problem with being deplatformed from the apps and from the money. Uh. And so Dave and I had been doing enough RSS work with this Freedom Controller project we've been working on that I, I called him up and said, and we do this all the time. I said, I think I got a, a project. This is this one will work. This is going to be great. And by the way, we got to fix this because this is messed up. Uh, we've got to build uh, our, a, new, a new index, a new database of podcasts. Everything's in there. We don't take anything out. 
we keep it, you know, tidy and, and we'll offer a free API to developers so they can switch over, use our open database um, and, uh, and, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. We're going to extend podcasting. So we want to put in new features um, since uh, the problem has always been for a decade, there was no, no new features in podcasting because the hosting companies would have to implement a new feature in the feed that, that their client, that their customers use. And then mainly Apple would have to understand that change and implement it. And, there, and Apple never communicated with anybody. They didn't care. Like, we don't care about podcasting. We love it. People buy our devices for it. We don't really feel like getting into development. They didn't say that, but they said it by never doing anything. So we said, look, we're the new guys. We now have more feeds uh, than Apple with a free API. Everybody can connect to it. Hey, hosting companies, we got some ideas for some new features. And the first one is we got an idea for value for value in streaming money, and we'll use the Lightning Network which is this kind of Venmo for Bitcoin, which allows for very cheap, very fast transactions, true micropayments, uh, micro which is one of the big promises of the internet. Um, promise number one, uh, your refrigerator will know when the milk has run out and will automatically order it for you. Of course, that's bullshit. That hasn't happened yet. But micropayments hasn't really happened either because of the transaction fees, which is never feasible. And so now there's this, blockchain-type token thing that behaves like money um, that was perfectly appropriate for us to implement this. And I said, well, why don't we put these two things into one, the new index, the, 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 a, a money flow that goes directly from the, from the listener's podcast wallet, as we call it, from their app, straight to the podcaster, and we'll incentivize everybody, including the app developers, by enabling a split. So if... Uh, if someone is going to give a dollar to a podcaster, um, the podcaster can say, okay, I want, thank you for your dollar, but I want uh, five, five cents to go to the app that I'm using, that you're using at this moment to listen to it, to incentivize the app developer to do more work. I want 1% to go to the podcast index because they're providing the free API. And I want 30% to go to my co-host um, or my producer, and I'll take the rest. And that's actually so that the app gets that information um, from the index, that payment information. And then the app that the listener is using sends all those individual payments directly from them to those recipients. No middleman, no one's in the middle, real time, uninterruptible. And we rolled this out. And because of how you extend a technology like RSS, it's called to something called a namespace, which basically says uh, this RSS feed utilizes extra features. It's this feature set, um, and all. And we, it's like we uncork this huge, uh, just geyser of creativity of all these features people had wanted to implement for a decade, and we just started doing them. Like fuck it, yeah, we'll put in chapters and we'll put in transcripts and per people links and. Um, and geotags and what you know trailer bits and and now we're using we're getting very close to uh, comments on an episode that work in any podcast app so you can comment on one app and it'll show up in another one I mean this is the holy grail right so all this stuff just started rolling and just like podcasting 1.0 I started podcasting 2.0 the podcast with Dave and we just started and we'd, and we'd have the now we have tools right now I can bring in the developer 
who's in uh, Germany and we can talk on the show and it sounds good and it's not, you know, shit's not breaking. We couldn't do any of this 20 years ago. Um, right. So this is, you know, this is now, it's, it's an animal and we're just creating all this amazing stuff. And of course, um, uh, we had a high uptake of Bitcoin podcasts, um, you know, who saw it like Marty Bent. Um, and also I have to say, um, uh, Paul and, uh, and the guys over Polito and the guys over at Sphinx, you know, they had, they really showed us how to do this. They had all of the bits. And then it was like, we, we had chocolate and we bumped into their peanut butter at the right moment, you know, like, whoa. And we were all super excited. And then we just got this thing kind of working. Um, and then, and that was a model for other developers. And, you know, then Tim K came along with lnpay.com. And, you know, so we're able to do kind of this, this interim uh, custodial, uh, but at least we can bootstrap the idea as, you know, uh, self-custodial wallets, I think is the term that's going to be used as those start to come online with projects like Greenlight and stuff. Um, you know, so we just kind of, we're just bootstrapping this thing. And I think the critical difference of this open project is that it's also funded value for value. So if you don't send us a donation, you are going to have to stop. By the way, you can... Every week, there's a fresh new copy of the entire database. All of our all of our code is in GitHub. You can you could start you could compete with us tomorrow if you got a billion dollars. Go build a new index. You know, good luck. Um, and then, of course, but we really what binds it all together is the splits. So when one person's successful, everyone else in the chain wins because they get a piece of it, and that's built into the into the spec. It's built into uh, also, the the philosophy of the value for value podcasting that the app developer gets a piece. You know, the hosting companies are coming online. They will probably, uh, you know, they will probably make deals with their customers to get a piece of a split. Maybe you don't have a monthly fee. I mean, we have a real economy, a real use case here that is, I think, one of the best ones of the Lightning Network and perhaps of Bitcoin itself. I agree. Yeah, there's some really cool use cases for Lightning uh, podcasting, like. I've been using it myself I, in this show, uh, started it as a podcasting 2.0 podcast, have been earning sats. It's crazy to see the growth of it. And, and Do you have, are you over. using a helipad? Uh, I'm using Fountain. Right, no, but are you, are you on, the, on the receiving side, do you have the helipad boostergram monitor? Oh, uh, oh, you see that in Fountain, right? Yes. Yep, oh, exactly. yeah, perfect. Yeah, uh, Oscar, those guys are fucking awesome, man. Yeah. I, I love what they're doing. That's so cool. And so you, you can even you can even edit your splits right in the app, right? Your your like your exactly, dude. Yeah. That is so cool, and that's and that's that just happens, you know. It's like and so now they we've given them a special partner API so that they can change the value blocks in the database, and this is all so beautiful, man. Because I want I want Oscar to do a million dollars, you know, because we'll get ten thousand dollars of that. That's one percent, you know. So we'll right. be super happy. <laughs> yeah. Would it be fair to say then that? When you're thinking about the overall podcasting landscape, do you, is it a fair assessment to say that like on the one side you have Apple and Spotify trying to close off podcasting and kind of like trying to take more of that industry for themselves? And then on the other hand, you have Podcast Index trying to open it up. Um, is, that, is that roughly a fair assessment today? Well, you can look at it a couple ways. Um, I consider this to be legacy apps. Um, because they really don't have the features that we have and people are just adopting and moving forward. So it would be amazing if they implemented any of the new namespace features. I mean, you don't have to enable 
the the value for value part. You know, I understand that, uh, but they're not doing that, so they're not really a part of. Uh, they're not really a part of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and Apple and I've spoke a lot with James Boggs, who really ran the the division before um, he left. And um, you know, I've talked a lot about podcasting 2.0 and the features, and then Spotify started to you know do these exclusive deals, and Apple got into this well should we because you know they they've always kind of had half a half of half a testicle in the content waters you know with apple tv plus and all this stuff and they're never really serious enough or i'm not quite sure um and so they you know and in fact when they were talking about this new subscription service I said what do you think i said it's stupid I said, why don't you why don't you just be with the cool kids man let's do some cool shit now but i think they also took it and i appreciate that because they have been good stewards of it in general um, as okay, we're going to focus on subscriptions, and we don't really care uh, about the rest. You know, you're either in our database and it works, or not. And uh, and if we change stuff, that's our prerogative. If that messes up your external app, that's your problem because we've never officially supported it. So Apple, to me, has just kind of given up. I don't think they're that important. They are a default player, um, so you know it's a, it's a, it's a way for people to get into it. But you know. With podcasting, we have the we have a marketing that's much stronger than Apple's. Apple's and Spotify combined, because the actual people talking to the, the users of these apps will say, "Try a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com." You know, mm-hmm. that's the marketing. I don't need to have a billion dollar budget for that. Spotify yeah. is a little different. Um, Spotify has a well published strategy of owning all things audio. That's that's what they want to do. Um, they've literally spent. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, buying up what they think are the most important pieces. It'll be a great use case for business school down the line. It's not possible what they want to do. They can, you cannot uh, capture and own a, a decentralized uh, open protocol. You, you, you can't. There's, they thought they could buy the pieces of the platform with the hosting companies, but that's not how it works. I mean, I can still put a MP3 file on an umbral at home and it'll work, you know, it'll, and, and I can, it'll be work on any real podcast app. What is happening with companies like Spotify and not Apple, but Spotify and Google is they're whores. And they, they think, Oh, free content. We'll suck that shit up and we'll monetize it and people will love it. And it's not true. If you, uh, so uh, we explicitly said, no, uh, you cannot have our podcast on Spotify because we read your terms and conditions and you can do it. You could, you can own it for whatever you want to do. No, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in you putting ads in, in my podcast just for the privilege of being listed on your system. So no. And we've had to go at them a couple of times because pirate pirated feeds would show up and they're crazy. They're crazy to think they can maintain um, the legal aspects of a decentralized system of everybody's stuff just kind of flowing in. I mean, there's all kinds of copyright violations, all kinds of things going on. They never should have done that. Uh, but here they are, and they're just going to spend more and more buying up infrastructure. And what has what I've learned throughout the years, and there were many great examples, but I think the best one was America Online. Um, which and I was, you know, I, I loved all these services, and I don't know if, if you're if you ever had an AOL account, you probably know. So AOL truly was, God damn it, I feel old. AOL truly was. It came on floppy disks, 
and it was America Online. It's where you got online, and it was a it was like a, a you know like a bulletin board system with screens. You could go into um, into like discussion groups. You could get news, and of course, mail. You've got mail. It was really the big one, and and of course, um, as the internet was growing outside America Online. People were saying, you know, I, we really want to try the, the internet. You know, we're on. A, we want to try the internet. Can you make a web browser so that you know that we heard about this web browser thing? And for a year or so, AOL was like, no, no, you no, we're really we don't want people. This is safe. It's secure. You're good here in AOL. You know, this is a safe a safe environment. Uh, and so finally, they relented, and the, and it was it was hilarious. They really marketed the internet like no one else could. So you, in order to get to the web browser, and that was, I mean, back in the day, it was pretty crude, brother, I tell you. I mean, it was like we had we could do blink tags, and that was like, and that was our, our version of JavaScript coolness. Um, uh, and you, you'd say, okay, do you, I want to access, the, you have to click on all these screens. Are you really sure? It could be scary. You could see things that could freak you out. You know, your information could be stolen. You, they could take your firstborn. Are you really sure? Are you really sure? Yes, okay. Finally, you got a browser. And people loved it. That's where the cool, scary shit was. Yeah, people don't want homogenized shit. This is this is the proof is over and over and over again. And people will beg, kids especially, will beg, borrow, steal to get that thing that, that they really desire or that crazy ass thing that people are talking about. And and so it's a mistake to think that you can make a safe brand safe because Spotify has to have everything brand safe in order to sell ads across it because advertisers are still going to have a problem with you know being uh related to some content that is controversial um but but all the cool stuff is is with with these other apps and um the hosts you know no one's saying oh my god please just just use spotify because man it makes me so much money no no (laughs) man it is really a great way to feed back to me no no, uh, it has great features. No, it doesn't have great features. Um, and we and the the development group that is podcasting 2.0, we have now 15 features we've rolled out in in a year. I mean, and these are good features, and people like them. Now, this is a slow burn; it's a grinder. I mean, podcasting is always 15, 20 percent a year of growth, no matter what you're doing in it. Um, but it's happening, you know. More and, and so now we've had enormous support from some of the bigger hosting companies. Now they're building these publication features that we've added right into their system. So now you can do chapters on Buzzsprout. You can do transcripts. And once people have that capability, they tell their audiences, get a modern podcast app, newpodcastapps.com. You can take advantage of it. And that's going to take several years. But eventually, you know, these legacy apps, they either implement the features that everyone wants or they go away. So how do you see this playing out? Do you think Spotify and Apple eventually enable lightning payments? Fuck no. Value for value? No, no, no. So they, they will give away? up on it before then. No, they're not going to do that. It would be a real. I be. It would be a real last ditch effort. They also have way too many corporate issues with that uh, liability. And sh- I mean, this is this is Wild West shit that we're doing here. You know, we don't even know what's legal. You know, we don't. You know, did I, if, you, if I send you stats, is that a gift? Is that tax deductible? Is that, do I have a limit? You know, what do you do? Is it property? Do you, do you, do you pay income taxes? Do you pay income taxes and then capital gains taxes or take a loss? I mean, we don't know. We don't know. But we are saving all of our data. 
We're saving right. all of our transactions. We know exactly what we have, so we can always go and, and do it properly when, when we're told. This is way too dangerous for companies like that. And in their whole infra, look, every single big tech company wants to be a couple things. They desperately want to be your bank. All of them. Apple, Google, Amazon, um, Spotify isn't quite there yet, but they, they want to be your bank. They also want to be your doctor. Yeah, They want to be all this stuff. And they really want to get rid of people doing all this stuff for you. You know, So they, they want to automate everything and, uh, and want to just it's own you, own you in your entirety. So um, I think that um, I have very high regard for your generation. I'll just call you the, the somewhat older millennials. Uh, and I understand why you think the way you do um, because you kind of the social contract was broken and y'all got pretty fucked in the process. A lot of that's my generation's fault. We weren't paying attention to who was on the school board and what they were doing and who was running the Federal Reserve, and we didn't care. Um, <laughs> we were too busy doing other stuff, and or maybe just not paying attention, not being aware. Um, but um, there's enough people in the in the, in the right age range to build these alternative systems. And whether I don't think we have time or the energy or the I don't think we can fix these broken systems. Uh, they have to kind of implode upon themselves. And this is happening right now. Um, uh, just to give an example, you know, where I, what I've seen with this COVID-19 is a huge decentralization of healthcare. Um, doctors, nurses, they're all leaving. They're using off-the-shelf technology to do telemedicine if they want, but they're doing concierge health services. They don't want to be a part of big systems. Uh, there's a lot of um, what we would call... Um, uh, not alternative uh, medicine, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Functional medicine is the term. Uh, people are looking at other solutions than uh, than oil-based pharmaceutical products. Um, so you're seeing this take place in real time and to such a degree that now that we're seeing all of the, res the real results of a lot of vaccinations not living up to standard, um, extreme measures that... Uh, really weren't necessary the uh the non um uh non-thinking even about what some of the other effects of lockdowns and children in school would be just just bucket slave do what i tell you and so now that's all going to be blamed on the cdc and they're being now completely obliterated and we have to that we never should have trusted them you listen to it these cocksuckers are out there right now the same people who said follow the science trust the cdc are now saying oh yeah, they suck. We never should never should have listened to them. So that's going to collapse. That's a very big organization. No, it's, it's faceless and nameless. What they do it on purpose because no one will get in trouble. No one person. It's just, oh, we just have to revamp that. And that'll be another multi-billion dollar agency of dread. But in the meantime, we are figuring out our own stuff. Talk to me about the downfall of some of these institutions. Like you mentioned the CDC, you mentioned the Federal Reserve, yeah. you mentioned Spotify. How do we get to a point where they do implode and, and they do kind of like fall apart and enable us to build new systems uh, in different ways? Well, this is just me and this is just what I've deconstructed and deduced and what I think is going on and, 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 I, and therefore I think we're, we're in the right we're doing the right thing. Uh, and part of it is the old Bitcoin fixes this. Um, now, Bitcoin definitely doesn't fix everything. And I am a Bitcoin maxi. But 
uh, it can be used to fix many, many things. And the, and the way I look at the situation the world is in right now, we ha do not have a health problem. Yeah, we have health problems. We have a financial problem. And the financial problem is of such a magnitude that I truly believe whether the pandemic was used slash abused uh, or whether it was created specifically for, uh, we may never know, but uh, for sure it helped uh, slow down a very big problem in the financial uh, system, uh, mainly with um, the lack of fixing the liquidity that had been put into the system in the 2008-2009 crisis. And this was, going about, I, I believe, was about to create massive inflation. Um, they saw it. There was at least, there's at least one, one big bank that is, is in financial trouble. Um, there's no real analysis of this, but there's all kinds of crap going on. The way scandalous trading along with, uh, with, the, the, with, the, with, with foreknowledge of what exactly was going to be done with money creation, etc. The people at the Federal, including Powell himself, is scandal. It's a corrupt, these are very corrupt people. Um, and so uh, looking at the reverse repo markets in 2019, there was something wrong. And that something wrong was a big number. And, it, and it's not just the big number, but the Federal Reserve is the lender of last resort. So they were having liquidity issues. The Federal Reserve is printing the money for them, lending it to them, and not just overnight, but for two weeks or two months. Now, this is, there's a problem there. And that's not... And, and, you know, a lot of people get confused and say, well, you know, they're, they're basically printing dollars. It's not entirely true because it's a difference between uh, reserve dollars and the ones that are out in the market. But for sure, that, that imbalance has to be fixed. And um, it, it can't be fixed by raising interest rates too much. Um, and I can't even explain why, but I, I believe that to be true. Um, we, we just created more and more reserves in the past legislative two years. Um, and now that we have, we're kind of reopening, you're seeing 7.5% inflation. According to CPI, jacked up bullcrap formula numbers that have changed so dramatically. I mean, you can't compare it to 1972 or 84 or 87 or whatever because they changed how the numbers were put together. It's just like earthquakes. You know, those numbers changed too. We went from... Uh, from one scale to the other, no one really mentioned it, you know. So it, it, there's a lot of shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe the financial system is at collapse, and um, and I, I did this great reset. I mean, I've looked at John and I've looked at Council on Foreign Relations and Trilateral Group and all of these Bilderberg Group, you know, like ah, the drinking clubs. Yeah, okay, the elites get together, circle jerk, whatever. But this great, this World Economic Forum, that's the real deal. That's where the money people are. It's the economic forum. It's money people. It's bankers. It's, you know, it's the uh, deputy prime minister of Canada is an advisor, board advisor to the World Economic Forum. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau himself was a young global leader, as was Tulsi Gabbard. You know, all kinds of, Dan Crenshaw, uh, all kinds of, they seem to be captured. <clears throat> and uh, the Great Reset, I mean, you can't reset something unless you, like reboot it right so it ha have we had the reboot no i don't think so i think they still need to go a little bit further uh, because the only way out of this at this point without i think creating hyperinflation is uh going to a central bank digital coin model where you can 
deal with inflation um, by con really controlling the money supply. And you control the money supply with an ESG, environmental, social, governance-based social score um, that determines what you can spend your money on or what you, or, you know, or how much you can spend on certain types of polluting products like gasoline. Um, and, and, you know, that's great. Politicians love that because once you're in, it's like show business for ugly people, you know, you're in politics and it's very hard not to get swept up in it. That's not, I can't generalize or it can generalize, but not everybody. Um, but your power becomes a real thing. And uh, can we just get these stupid people to do what we tell them to because we know what's best for them? Uh, and I got to humanize them, but, you know, that's that's also just as value for value giving is something that turns out people really like doing. Believe it, when people get power, um, they are often corrupted severely and they don't even know they're, be, they're, they're being horrible people. They don't even know it. You know, this is just human nature. Was your first introduction to Bitcoin through the lens of like the Federal Reserve and central banking and monetary policy, or was it through lightning and uh, streaming payments and being able to make smaller payments or, or larger ones on the internet? My introduction came uh, just around the birth of Bitcoin. Uh, hmm. And because I was doing the podcast, people kept saying, hey, this is a cool thing. You should look into it, Bitcoin. And I, I just, I was in a different headspace, couldn't really, like, I don't know. But people gave me, you know, I had a wallet, like a Bitcoin core running on an old Mac. I had 65 Bitcoin in there. And um, I just had that laying around at one point. I don't know. And uh, one point, in addition to the podcast, I was day trading on NASDAQ. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to fund this with that Bitcoin. It's like 900. It's like $1,000 now. I'm just going to sell all that shit. So I sold 65 Bitcoin for $1,000. feel very bad about that. Um, but... You know, but I didn't understand it. And in fact, I, we would say on the show, well, you can't pay us in Bitcoin because I can't pay my rent in Bitcoin. I, mm -hmm. I really had not, I'd never looked at the white paper, no, nothing. So I, I, didn't do the, I didn't do the investigative work. Um, when Bitcoin went to 10,000, it, it got my attention because yeah. I sold 65 Bitcoin at 1,000. I'm like, well, I fucked up. What did I do wrong? I won't let that happen again. And I didn't. Uh, I learned, uh, I paid attention, I, I really watched what was going on. And then during the pandemic, when uh, Bitcoin went sub $4,000, my wife and I said, let's not make this mistake. And we went in um, uh, and we stepped in sizably and we've done dollar cost averaging ever since. Um, and uh, along with that came that from that moment, I was already seeing the Lightning Network, which, you know, was just kind of its infancy. And so I bought a, a, raspberry, a raspberry Pi. I put together a Raspberry Blitz full node. Um, and, the, and that's really when the joy started. I'm like, oh, because I wanted to have a wallet, you know, something at home. And I wanted to have, you know, not be, I wanted to be a home node. And, and it came with Lightning. And I, okay, so I started learning about Lightning. And then I saw, oh, you can program this money. Holy fuck, the, what the things I can do. You know, I got, I was, I found LN Bits. I'm like, holy, look at this shit. Look at this shit you can do with this LN Bits. Like, this is, this is incredible. This is, and this is for like, I'm not a, I'm not a software developer. Um, I can write some little bits. I can certainly understand and parse most of what's happening. It goes back to my wires in the projects board. I can always visualize how the, how the thing operates. 
and and it just that just blew me away and that and that it all came at the same time you know and then i called dave and i said dude we're gonna put this shit in to our index because we had been just building the index we didn't even have the api ready for months uh it took a while to, to to get all the feeds and get everything started and uh and it was just like and we both looked at this like this is unbelievable this is so cool um yeah. And that was it. So the introduction was very early on. I had a harsh lesson, um, a, a good lesson for me. And uh, and now I'm also, because of my education, my Bitcoin background, I'm, I'm able to concentrate more on um, really the psychological effects. So <clears throat> with the boostergrams, um, th- th- this is something that goes along with that, oh, crap, yeah, people do want to support value for value. People say things like, this is the most fun I've had parting with my money. You know, I, in fact, I, I'm going to do a, a, a T-shirt. I monetize trolls because I get troll boostograms too. Like, hey, you, what, you suck, man. All right. Hey, thanks for the thousand sats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good for me, bitch. Boost me more. <laughs> you know, so, and this is psychologically mind-boggling i know that there's 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 psychologists and psychiatrists and i'm sure that there's names and terms for this 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 type of vibe but it's it's a version i think of the dopamine hit that uh that the social networks uh you know uh bombard you with to take advantage of you and to mess with your brain um but it's it's kind of like uh um, I can only have horrible examples, and I would hate for me to be quoted like this. But it's, but basically, it's different between crack cocaine and really pure Colombian snow. It's like this feels so good. I love doing this. You know, I love. I'm spraying sats everywhere, and you get the sats in, and it doesn't matter if it's thirty sats or thirty thousand sats. It's like how cool is it when when and you just see. I don't know if the if in fountain, but on the the helipad now. Uh, Every time there's even a streaming payment, it flashes green as the number goes up and a little confetti spews down. So you're just looking at your node like, oh, there's some more. Ah, another one came in. Yeah. And it's like 50 sats, 60 sats. It tells me someone's valuing what I did at this very moment. This very moment, someone's listening to what I created and they value it so much they're sending me little pieces of value back. Why do you think that is so exciting? Because I have that exact same feeling when I get sats and it could be 10 sats. It doesn't matter, but I see it and I'm like, I'm amazed. And then I go tell a friend who's not into Bitcoin or not into lightning, doesn't know about podcasting 2.0. And they go like, what, well, what's 10 sats? And I'm like, well, it's like less than a penny, but like, that's not the point. And (laughs) they don't get it. Like, why do you think it's so exciting to us? And is this but when they think- do it, when when they, when people do it, they get it pretty quickly. Once they've done it, they're like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." And you have to have that loop, right? So you've got to read some of these boostograms on the show. Yeah. I mean, this is part of the value for value, and 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 you know, and people like, you know, this is why crowdfunding works. Crowdfunding, it's the comments. People go into crowdfunding sites for the comments. You're paying to support something and to comment. Mm. this is a big part of it so you're commenting and that and you know there are some podcasts who are now putting their boostergrams on their website so you can actually just watch what people are saying in real time as they're boostergramming so everybody can see it i mean there's all kinds of cool experimentation being done and and i don't know why it is but it's the same 
when we do a, a donation segment for value for value, we tell, so this person gave us $1,000 and here's the note that they had to go with it. And it's used. And then we just turn that into content. Mm-hmm. We just, that, that become with, and you know, we try to please keep the notes short because you're driving me crazy. We, you know, we have to do a much longer show. If the donation segment's long, then the whole show is going to be much longer. Um, and it's, it's a human thing. I, I, I don't understand how the brain works, but there's people out there who do. Um, there's something about it that once you've done it and you've kind of gotten into the loop, you kind of love it. And so people will say, I don't get it. I don't get it. They're giving you free money. That's why um, uh, Oscar is working real hard. We're all working hard, but Oscar is uh, going to be the first test case with Fountain. We're working with Swan Bitcoin um, to be able to, well, first of all, if you sign up, you will get like 10,000 sats. If it's even if it's 1,000, who gives a shit? Just to try it out. And then you, and then this light KYC, which is basically name and email address, and you know, and then you can refill your wallet. I mean, so we have this this double step uh, that that is a huge barrier to entry, which is first Bitcoin, then you got to get it on the Lightning Network, then you got it into a into a podcast wallet. It's almost yeah. like if you if you presented this as a business plan, people are like, no, we're not funding that. You're crazy. That you'll never get to do that. And yeah. of course, now you see everyone jumps in. And everyone's working together, and that'll be a big one. When someone can just grab an app, and for the first time, there'll be a thousand sats or ten thousand, and you know, and you will start to learn very quickly how enjoyable that is. I think that the, these types of things are going to bootstrap it really hard. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with that. There's like the the traditional way, or the the way that like I got into Lightning was first learn about Bitcoin, then buy some, then hold it, then figure out like. How do I move it to Lightning? Then figure out, uh, you know, how to spend it. And I'm spending it after I've been taught, you know, this is something I should hold on to and I should never spend. Right. I, this, this, well, but this is a part of it because, mm-hmm. you know, for you, guys like you and me, you know, we're starting to use Bitcoin for little things to, to buy stuff, right? And and every, I think I have, you know, I use Breeze really for my, well, and I, I, I mix it up, but I, I like Breeze a lot just for walking around. I got a couple hundred bucks in sats on there. And, you know, and I, I, whenever I can pay with Satoshis, I do it that way. But because I'm a hodler by nature, I really think, like, I'm going to pay for this with, with sats right now that could be worth a lot more in five years from now. Do I really want to do it? Is it really worth it for me? I'm applying the value for value rules in my head, and it makes me purchase less mm-hmm. uh, and purchase consciously. And it makes me feel good about my purchase. I never regret it once I've decided, like, you know, like we pay voltage for one of our nodes. And we pay in Bitcoin. And it's like, you know, it's like $1,800 a year or something. And uh, we could pay in dollars. It would be okay. But I'm like, yeah, I kind of like it. You know, we'll pay annually and we'll pay in Bitcoin. We're, we're all in this together. And, and, we, and the sats have to flow. Mm-hmm. The, the feeling, by the way, I have a similar feeling about... Uh, with value for value payments, as I do with mining, I recently I got an uh, Ant Miner S9. You know, just plugged it in, got it on Slush Pool, and and I just look at this every week or two weeks. You know, it's like there's some freshly minted Bitcoin that, that I just it's new. It's and I, I I got Bitcoin in, 
and you and you look at your your slush pool, you look at the miner itself, you see the hash rate, you see the global hash rate, you see that it's churning, you see the rewards, you know what's being confirmed, and it's a great way to stack sats. Do it with a podcast. You know, it's so exciting. You know, my wife's like, how's John Henry? We call it John Henry, our, our miner. How's John Henry doing? Ah, oh, Henry's doing pretty good. He did about 6,000 sats today. You know, yeah. and so it just becomes this, this entity that becomes part of your life. I mean, I, I wouldn't gush typically this much, except this is the Lightning Podcast. So I kind of have to gush a little bit about how cool it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it changes the game when you can earn Bitcoin. Because it, it cuts yes. out that entire process, right? You don't have to learn about what it is. You don't have to move it to lightning. You don't have to worry about the capital gains or, or any of that Like when you're spending it. If you're earning it, it's just like it, it, it cuts through all of that process. And so it's a really quick way to get onboarded. Um, and I, I kind of think that that's going to happen with a lot of different apps. There's gaming apps that are you know, starting to allow people to earn Bitcoin. Um, there's going to be all sorts of use cases. Uh, there's Stacker News is like a Reddit-style place on, yep. on Lightning. You can earn for posting. I just had a, a friend who's, who's producing this show now. Uh, I just set him up on Stacker News yesterday, and I just sent him an article. I said, try that on Stacker News. Earns mm-hmm. the first few sats, and it's just like instant. Nothing. Yeah. You, you I mean, didn't I, have to I, do any onboarding, KYC, up, um, nothing. Yeah. I just got my uh, my uh, Bitcoin machine, the umbral in the in the BitcoinMachines.com casing, because uh, I, I love this idea. I love the home server. I, I just the whole thing. But I have one already. But I wanted an orange one. You know, I want this is a museum piece that I'll have running in my server closet that everyone could take a look at through the smoky glass. Um, and I but I got it specifically for LN Bits with a public uh, IP address, which you need kind of. And you know, so I, today I finally went through the process of learning how to do let's encrypt you know i i hate the whole necessity for it but okay in this case it's it's very valid to have uh, ssl and uh i cannot wait to uh set up you know probably i'll have a little uh a little a faucet uh for some for some people i want to test some pay links i want to test some uh some, you know some of the they've so many cool different extensions and I just want to, you know, kind of mess around. I put a, you know, a couple hundred thousand sats on this node just to get people into it. Say, hey, grab this wallet. You know, watch how this works. Watch how the pay thing works. And, um, and you know, that, I, I think that's a fun way to kind of get people into it. And uh, I can even, you know, if I wanted to, I could host a wallet for someone. They can have a, a Zap or a Blue Wallet connect to it if they just want to learn a little bit. You know, this is part of the fun of, uh, of Bitcoin, right, is you... You get to experiment and break shit. And what's the worst that can happen? You can lose all your funds, you idiot. Oh, it's your, it's your own fault. Yeah. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, ba- channel backups are important. There's no 24 words for your channels. That's uh, <laughs> It would be very sad if you lose your channel. When you think about lightning podcasting and kind of this uh, next era of podcasting 2.0, what do you think about, what do you think are the constraints holding back adoption today? Is it just the pain of getting sats into people's hands and getting them to start using it? Is it something else? Is it, is it uh, applications? Is it like Spotify and Apple kind of like holding people in and, and making it difficult for anyone to leave? What is the, in your mind, what's the biggest constraint right now? It's all of it. Uh, it's all a huge constraint, but there's one simple fix. It's the easiest thing in the world. Everybody who does a podcast, if you're value for value, 
tell people to get a modern podcast app. That's the way. And all everything falls into place from that. Even if you're not value for value, try a modern podcast app. There's features. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to newpodcastapps.com, you can see all the apps, what features they've implemented, but also the hosting companies. There's tons of other services now coming online. Um, so we're bootstrapping it. Um, and um, there's just no other. The, the only way this works with podcasting is podcasters have to tell their audiences, their listeners, their tribes, whatever you want to call it, to get a new podcast app. That's it. Or if you're currently using a podcast app that you like that may not have any of those features, email the developer. Most apps have a way to contact the developer. And, you know, um, it's fun because I, I help people as much as I can. Like, you know, well, I'm using Podcast Attic and it doesn't do this. And I, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, here's an idea. Um, unlike Apple or Spotify, there's a little link here. You can contact the developer and approach them like a human being or her and say, hi, I love the app, whatever. Um, have you considered this? Because that's how developers work. When they get re- requests for features, then they'll say, hey, you know what? That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at putting that in. Learn how GitHub works. You know, learn how to, to comment on a, on a, on a project. Um, you can get a lot accomplished that way. Um, what doesn't work is, oh, I hate this fucking app. It doesn't do the things I want. It's not ready for prime time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're all in this together. If the, if the audiences and listeners, if they don't cobble along, we did it the first time. I mean, it, there was no subscribe button back in the day. You had, to, you had to tell people, all right, once you subscribe to this podcast, go to my website, look for the little orange XML RSS icon. Now you got to right-click on that. Then you can do copy link. Now, you're going to send that to yourself in the email. You get that out on your phone. Now, you copy that link. You open up the app. You do add podcast. You paste it in there, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. And people did it, brother. People did it. People did it. So, uh, yeah, we're in very much a a centralized, hey, just just fucking work type world. But people are getting hip to it. Like, okay, I have to do one little extra thing, and then it's really cool. I do have to make one extra step or I have to, I've got to try something new that's not from Silicon Valley. There's no help desk. You know, there may be a guy you can talk to, but, um, and um, that's up to us. So yeah. I, that, so the, the, the all, everything's a bottleneck, uh, but nothing is if all podcasters start telling people to try newpodcastapps.com. Right. Now, you talked about a few different features that you're working on through the podcast index earlier in the show. Um, Can you talk to me about how those features um, get adopted by modern podcasting apps? Does everyone have to use the same set of features or or can they be different features? No, in fact, uh, we have a really nice matrix uh, at newpodcastapps.com where you can see, you can sort by features. Um, and, And this is what's great about apps. You know, it's very personal. Developers usually develop an app because there's something they wanted their app to do that that the app they were using didn't. Um, So that's, and it's always going to be personal. Some will focus heavily on audio. Some will focus on organization. Some will have it all. Some will be the Swiss army knife. Some will be very sparse. Um, It's all, all little different nuances like fountain. um, You know, they, they have a transcript service built in for any podcast, not just if the podcaster publishes the transcript. So, these are all features that you know uh, that are personal to the app developer. There's no right or wrong way to do it. We have crazy ass implementations of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, it's anybody can do what they want to do. What most of the developers are are interested in is getting the value for value piece in um, in a way that works for them. Again, everybody has their own scenario. Some don't want to run servers. Some, you know, everyone has a different way of working. Um, and they want to do that because it's the bonding mechanism. You know, when when you've got that in there and then people are using your app, then you're getting paid. Right. That and believe sense. me, for a developer, we just had Stephen B. He said, and he does a web-based uh, app, CurioCaster. He also does SovereignFeeds.com if you want to create a full-on podcasting 2.0 feed of your existing feed. Very cool. Um, uh, he just made, made his one million Satoshi. Hmm. Uh, versus that. a guy that's never made any money from his software. Yeah. Giving so it away are, for free. You guys are then building, at the podcast index, you're building like an open set of standards and features that can be used by other podcasting apps if they choose to. Correct. Now, are there any in particular, maybe on the roadmap that you are excited about? I know you teased a few of them uh, earlier in the show, but is there anything that you're like, this is it changes fundamentally the way people interact in podcasts? Yeah, two. Um, outside of value for value is um, the cross-app comments, which we touched on. This is very hard to do. Um, and we have such a beautiful group of, of developers who just all came with their own ideas and and everyone is open and their biases are out. And it's a, and we do it on a Mastodon server, not a, not a traditional way to do an open project, but that's been very helpful. Because, you know, the flame wars die down real quick. There's no algo to fuck it up and bring it back. <laughs> so, so that's really good. But, but there's a lot of passion, um, and it's all been very manageable. And so this is a really important thing. And, it, and it's not the technological implementation. It's who owns what, who owns the root post, who can moderate, who can edit, who can delete, should they be able to, you know, who owns a comment. You know, all these things have been thought about. And we already have now... Uh, implementations where I can post a comment in Podfriend on an episode and it shows up in Podverse and on CurioCaster. Um, this is, you know, it, we got a little bit more work here and it's going to take a little more time because it does involve some more code. Uh, specifically, uh, we have a little, one of our developers created a mini activity pub called MiniPub and it's like, a, it's a, like a, an SDK or something you can put into your code. And so, you know, that'll give that capability of the cross-comment posting. So there's some work to be done there. And everyone has their own timeline. You know, we got one guy, uh, Franco, who uh, does uh, Castomatic. He's a doctor four days a week. And on the fifth day of the week, he's a software developer. So, Ooh. you know, like we got people doing with all kinds of different timelines and schedules and priorities. The yeah. other one is uh, live. Uh, this is a big one because this is where we start to cross over between what a lot of people, a lot of podcasters do is they go live on YouTube and then Rumble and, you know, and BitChute and wherever else they can stream to. Um, and they love the interaction of the live comments, which I would call a troll room, but let's just call it a, a chat box, um, super chats, you know, all these types of things. And then that becomes your podcast. And so uh, we just had a very successful test this past Sunday. Um, we have a, a notification system called PodPing where um, this is how it'll work. Your, your podcast app will literally send you a notification and will say, um, Lightning Podcast is live. It'll be live at 7 o'clock, and then 
uh, you know, so you'll be alerted that it's going to start then. And then when it actually starts, you'll get, you can set it up however you want, but this is the flow. You'll get an alert. You open your same podcast app. You listen to the podcast in, you tap it. It starts playing uh, the live audio or video, which will be through PeerTube, which means it's also distributed bandwidth. You have a chat room. Your Boostergrams show up in the chat room. Uh, so everyone can read along with the, with the Boostergrams. Fucking mind-blowing. And this is, I mean, this was so cool to see this. Uh, uh, Sir Spencer and, and Dame DeLorean, they did this on Sunday. Um, and it was just so exciting um, to have the stream going and then to, to have the Boostergrams coming through in the chat, in the app. And then once they were done with the live stream, maybe 20 minutes later, there was the podcast version of it that popped up in the same app. Mm-hmm. Um, this is big because we think that this is a great way to start to pull people away from these senseless platforms where you're, you're more occupied with how do I not get my episode taken down for something that I said than actually focusing on what you want to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has all the benefits. The super chat is basically what, you know, what then Boostergrams become in the live setting. So these are two features I think will be very, very exciting. And, I, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of podcasters or uh, YouTubers or content creators who are looking forward to this, especially because video. So we had to do a couple things. We had to make video work again in podcasting. It kind of went away uh, because of the constraints of storage and bandwidth. And that's been solved to a degree. So, you know, if you're, uh, if you're going to stream in, your, in podcasting 2.0, You'll either, you know, use, you know, OD, what is it, ODB, or you'll use StreamYard or something. You'll send an RTP stream to the PeerTube, uh, which will be free for you to use, except uh, in this case, that PeerTube operator might say, I'm going to take 10% of, uh, of, your, of your stream while you're streaming so that I can pay for, you know, my infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're off to the races. And it'll work. And it's it all working. aligned. Incentives are aligned, right? That's it. That's it. Do you think e- that- even though this is not going to pay anybody's lunch, not yet. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not again as we determined. It's not about the amount. It's about the fact that, like, okay, it's 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 ten satoshis a minute right now. Yeah. Okay, but that's not the point. I mean, the, the, a the ten satoshis could be worth a lot more in five years from now. B, it's not the point. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just the point is someone cared about what I did enough to send me something of monetary value in the chain because I participated in it. So do you think YouTube is also in that bucket of like legacy tech where it is at risk of being disrupted by podcasting 2.0? Uh, disrupted, I, I don't know. I mean, the, YouTube really makes their money on cat and baby videos. I mean, yeah, they got some big shows, but don't be, you know, don't be confused about where their money comes from. It's a very, in fact, so much money is for children's advertising is disgusting. Mm. Um, so their model is wrong. They, they, I mean, look, I, I had the first Amazon Echo, now Alexa, um, my God, nine years ago. It was right. And no one, no one was ever, it was launched with no. like, People logo on it. People would lose their crap over this. And until I realized really how it worked and what was going on. I'm like, I don't want this in my house. I don't want this listening device in my house. I don't want my voice print stored somewhere. I love all the tech. I love the iPhone. I love all of this stuff. I love the cool cameras and the drones and the, and the robots and the home automation. 
but your model is to spy on me and to sell my information. Fuck no. Mm. So that's, think- that's the point where we have to get to. And when the social credit score comes in, people will, when you can't use certain things because it's all tied in, you'll be wishing that you, or you'll be go looking at alternatives like Bitcoin. Yeah. And so this approach to podcasting right now is like this, it's the self-sovereign approach, right? It's like you own your own money, you own your own data, you're sending it back and forth for value that, that you are giving out into the world. Do you think that is going to then apply to all sorts of industries? Do you think, do you think, do you buy into the idea that we become more self-sovereign as a, as a nation, as a world over time, as these apps continue to kind of like uh, exert influence on what we see and what we think and what, um, and, and, you know, change the way we uh, interact with them uh, to fit their business models? Well, we're going to be in a situation until, in this situation, until something changes. And these, these are very well-known situations. What, what, were, what do people in Africa do when their money is hyperinflated? They look for alternatives. What's the alternative? Typically the U.S. dollar. Um, so when the U.S. dollar is in the same situation, what are we going to turn to? Well, is it going to be SDR? You know, is it going to be the, the IMF uh, money? Uh, you know, what is it going to be? And, it'll, and it won't just be because of hyperinflation. It'll be because of restrictions. It'll be like, no, you, you can't buy uh, more than 10 gallons of gas. Uh, so I'm going to have to go look for some other person to buy it from. And now that the money is, money has literally been censored before our very eyes with our, our brothers and sisters in Canada. And I don't care what you're doing. They literally have, have stopped the ability for money to flow based upon you know, whatever they just made up. Hello. And that's an Ameri- these are American companies that now cannot send money. And people are being investigated for, for using that system. Well, you don't have to be a genius to know that a lot of people are going to say, yeah, no, I'm going to. And, and it's just a lot of people are going to walk away from that. Say, no, I don't want to do that. So when I'm buying beef now, I, I like the idea that we're doing that. Out, no one can stop the beef from me from picking it up. And no one can stop me from paying for it. I mean, the, these are the fundamental things. So um, there's always, like, I remember when I was in Russia in 1989, the Moscow Music Peace Festival, this is before the wall came down, before David Hasselhoff freed uh, Eastern Europe, because it was the Hoff who did it. Um, yeah, do you even know David Hasselhoff? Not as well as you do. No. Okay. Fuck. All right. Um, the currency at the time, you know, of course, was the ruble, um, and you could use dollars, but really, toilet paper rolls and tuna fish. Mm. You know, that's how I got shit done in the hotel. The ladies didn't even want my dollar. No, 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 no. no. You got some tuna fish? You got, you got some, uh, do you have some matchbox cars? Because I knew that I was told this is all the stuff you want to bring. So there's always going to be this economy so that people can uh, live with some comfort. Now, that is all very complicated as a barter instrument, you know, carrying around, you know, 10 rolls of toilet paper and 20 cans of tuna fish and matchbox cars in your coat pocket. is just not easy to use. So obviously the technologies that we, the protocol that we have makes that, you know, possible in every single way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have to learn to combine these, the online network with the offline network. And I'll give you an example. Um, I love the that the Bitcoiners came out for the truckers in Canada and we crowdfunded and it was cool and it worked great. But there's one extra step we need to do. 
And, you know, so now you know, it'll be hard for you to turn your Bitcoin into fiat fund coupons. That's, they're going to restrict that. So um, distributed exchanges, they really work, um, you know, where you are peer-to-peer exchange. Um, but also, I mean, in a case like this, what would have to happen is uh, someone who, who has Bitcoin on the ground will go, who wants Bitcoin will go and buy the diesel, bring the truck or the diesel and keep the Bitcoin, you know, so that that's a, that's a peer to peer type exchange. We're going to have to do these types of things, uh, yeah. but you can actually quite, quite successfully, uh, one of these, uh, peer to peer, uh, distrib- uh, distributed exchanges or decent, excuse me, decentralized exchanges. And it, it works, you know, there's a dispute process and I'm sure there's a small percentage that fucks up, but in general, you can buy and sell Bitcoin, almost any currency you want with with one other individual and it works fairly well with you know you have to stake some funds to lock it up and then you know it's just sent through zelle or uh <laughs> or through um uh, sepa in europe you know the european uh, uh banking network you just you receive your funds or you can send them that way mm-hmm. so you know this that's what it'll have to be and then simultaneously we have to pay attention and uh vote and let's vote some of these reptiles out, and let's vote some new people in. Uh, we, you know, we, we can't go wrong by changing the, the losing team. You know, it's not like this team that we see everywhere is winning. And this for goes for your your local school board, goes for the board of your hospital, goes for the board everything for your your local city council. Oh man, my generation did not pay attention to city councils. We still are not good at it. Oh, and then yeah, and then your politicians and your president and all this stuff and know that we have the same power we have over getting the products we want, getting the Bitcoin we want. We absolutely have the power to elect the people we want and make them do what we want them to do. But they've got to start imploding. That has to go down while we kind of figure it out our own networks over here. And then we'll see. I don't think I'll be around for the resurrection of the, the, the real great reset. It's going to take a long time, but man, we have some fucking fun doing it. Yeah. Do you think we're at escape velocity now in the Bitcoin community where if tomorrow America or Canada or some other country said, listen, no more Bitcoin, we're shutting it off. Do you think that we have the critical mass today to sustain an economy and to to kind of like get around that? Because as you said, there's like on ramps and off ramps being built all over the place. There's new ways to earn Bitcoin now. There's new ways to pay it. You can do it peer to peer. but we did see, you know, when Canada came out and said, look, we're, we're going after people who are, are donating uh, and we, we're going after Bitcoin addresses, too. Uh, it's kind of sent a chill through the community, at least from my perspective on, on Twitter. Um, like, what do you, what's your interpretation of, like, how close we are to getting to the point where no matter what a government says, you, you almost can't stop it? Uh, do you think we're there yet? Well, I, you can't stop it. You can't stop Bitcoin. You can't stop stop the transaction that would be like saying we're stopping email okay mm-hmm. if you if you're going to stop email then you can stop bitcoin so you literally cannot stop bitcoin um it's my belief that we are at that escape velocity i kind of like that term um i like that because yeah i think we're at escape velocity because too many established uh organizations are in it the banks are in it the hedge funds are in it uh they're all in it they uh, Soros is in it. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is in it. Uh, Goldman Sachs is in it. 
big companies have it in their treasuries. It's it's too deeply integrated. I think that it's we're at escape velocity because the elites know it's an escape hatch. I think they're hedging and they will keep that shit open. They may crush everything else. I think stable coins are a real problem, and that is the that is the real focus of, of um, I think of a lot of this legislation because uh, stable coins are by definition inflationary. They inflate the money supply in in of the dollar, so it's you know it, there's a problem there, a, a real one. Uh, it's just it's it's crazy how that kind of came together. And a lot of smart people have been doing it, but I think that's that's where the the focus will be. Um, there's a lot of people actually working on bringing stable coins to Lightning now. Like there's a few initiatives. I was that reading are about that. It it, it it was a very you know and, and of course I have mixed thoughts about that. Um. But when you think about, when you take away the metaphor of a wallet and coins dropping in and all this, in essence, you know, a lightning channel between two entities is just a multi-sig wallet on chain that says, we're going to um, settle this at some point in the future. Um, and how we settle it and who gets what portion, we're going to let you know when we when we close out this uh, transaction with our with our with our multi, with our two signatures so what we're then doing privately on whatever channel we could be trading chicken breasts mm-hmm. and, you know it's just an agreement i mean it's in that regard in a way in an odd way well i don't know enough about the technical underpinnings um but in theory i understand how you can use and i saw the article that shows you know how you would do it or how you can do it today basically um shorting your own shit you know it's like it's 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 a it's a hedge mechanism which i think is beautiful um and i personally don't really mind i don't want it but i don't mind it that it's possible it it, it doesn't seem like it's a real big issue i mean as long as i can route my sats through the network i i don't know i mean there's no requirement for what kind of hardware it has to run on. So channels are, you know, those are kind of closed off things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the security of what happens in the channel is, is the multi-sig wallet that, 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 that hangs underneath. And that's on chain. So that's, that's not a stable coin thing. I don't understand all of, of how this works, but um, I think philosophically I, I get it. Um, I'm not interested in even looking at it. I don't give a shit. I, 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 I got three nodes I'm running. I love my Bitcoin. I love setting up channels. I love figuring out what works best with fees and how I help people but don't get killed on liquidity. There's lots of things that are that are beautiful by itself. I'm mm-hmm. just not really interested in in what people are doing with it. And But I do feel that there seems to be a little bit of concern out in the in in the space about this happening. Yeah, well, I guess the the two different sides I see, one is we don't want anything else, we just want Bitcoin and like everything else is a shit coin. And then the other side is, well, people don't want to hold Bitcoin all the time or you know, it, it limits merchant adoption maybe or it limits like the things you can do if you have to incur a capital gain when you buy or sell, when you send Bitcoin. So I see the two sides of the argument. I guess my question to you would be, is do you think that would contribute to uh, increasing adoption of podcasting 2.0? If I could, you know, if, if you could go to a podcaster and say, like, listen, turn on value for value, start accepting funds. If you don't want Bitcoin, 
fine. You don't have to take it. It's You can get dollars. You can get Bitcoin too, but if you don't want it, dollars are there for you if you don't want that kind of like mental challenge of going through the hoops and, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not interested in that either. I don't understand. Uh, and, you know, we're either onboarding people or we're not onboarding people. That, that is like either either you take the time to use your brain for three fucking minutes and say, okay, this is a system. It's like any other currency. If I want to get it into something else, I got to go through some hoops and do something. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I think the, the more inherent problem is getting from Bitcoin to Lightning. I mean, mm -hmm. I would love to live, I would love to introduce people to Bitcoin through Lightning. That seems right. to be a great, a great on-ramp. Like, oh, this is fast. Oh, I get this. And I just say, Lightning, it's Venmo for Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. Okay, so maybe to finish this off, talk to me about some of the interesting applications you're seeing on Lightning now um, outside of the podcast and 2.0 space. Well, for me, it's all uh, using the same technology. Music is next. Uh, so what I'm interested in is helping people uh, distribute and, in this case, uh, uh, create experiences and monetization around media because that's what podcasting is. So it's just as valid to use the same system for an audio book, even for a PDF, if we have a PDF player that can do page-by-page -page payments. Um, and uh, music is going to be a big one. We're going to use the same infrastructure. We just need different type of apps that present the information differently. Uh, so I will push that. I'll just continue to push that. Um, I, I think the, the live aspect will be very interesting way for people to... Um, uh, to get a you know some hands-on experience with lightning uh, I'm thinking of like the versus type thing where you can have people and again it's all established things but it's um, we don't have to answer to anybody if we want to have two uh, uh, two hip-hop artists uh, competing against each other and we're voting with our sats and by the way I want this in the club you know I want to have two screens bop I want to be able to flash a QR code goes to the DJ goes to the bar staff the splits thing is really what's what's cool, and even LM Bits has a, a multi-split uh, payment option. So, what we need to do is we need to get this in the hand of users. So, podcasting is great because the technology and the developers and the users have to work together in order for success to happen. So, in this case, I'm like the Uber user, where I will put all the shit in my feed and I'll try everything, and I ri and I blow stuff up all the time, and people. And I break stuff and I find all the, because it's just, I'm a user. And so I use it and I find, you know, you, it's like they were trying to troubleshoot this helipad, uh, which is like reading the boostograms. And I have 40,000 entries in my database. So that was something that helped the debug process. Because now you've got every single crazy shit that came through from every app where some someone had one bracket wrong and it breaks everything. So um, that's what we need. We need... It's, it only becomes something exciting when the users are using it and put it in their hands. LMBits is a great example. This gives people the tools to figure out how they want to use it. I can, people can take money from me. I can pay money. They can tip me. I can split stuff. I can set up a DJ stream. I'm not sure if that one works really well. I can for that kind of stuff. Um, so LNURL is actually, I looked at that very long before I found Keysend, which became the solution for us, which will be, you know, when Bolt 12 comes along, we'll have other ways, you know, there's AMP payments, there's all this stuff. Um, but LNURL to me was exciting because as a user, as a kid who can, who can follow instructions and put a wire between two components on a board, 
I got it. You know, this is, I understand this. It took me a little while to get the let's encrypt shit working. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, that was my project this morning, actually. Like, uh, I've always failed at this. You know, doing it on a Raspberry Pi through your router at home, I've always failed. But, you know, we've, we've made it easy with Tor. I mean, um, Tor is not appropriate for open LM bits use, but with Tor, you can have your Umbral and you can set it up on an old laptop. And, you know, you just need a, a, a terabyte, you know, USB drive. And, oh, my God, you can run your own mail server and you can run Next Office, and you can run, um, you know, um, all kinds of little cool apps. And this is a, a whole category of home device, mm-hmm. and, and they are kicking ass. Uh, Umbral, Start9, um, these, are all, these are all great, great little boxes. And Tor, although slow and has its problems, it lets users very quickly spin something up, have it on their phone, walk outside, you know, it's what I, how far is my signal reach, um, be able to access their own stuff, and lo and behold, their own bank, their own money, you know, yeah. in, in, in a, in a, in a, and, this is, and it's fun. It's fun to do. So this is what we need. You know, um, I don't think it's this one particular thing. I mean, even like the events, um, the events extension on LM Bits, you can sell tickets, you know, you can sell tickets to you know, do a lemonade fundraiser, just something for the group. Um, there's the point of sale is a big, a big app, you know, uh, offer it to your customers. Like, hey, if you want, you can pay a Bitcoin and, uh, and, you know, just you know, type it in and scan it. Like the Breeze app has a really sophisticated, well done inventory management system for point of sale on the spot. Set it up. Anyone can do it. It works. So you've got my these, head spinning with possibilities. Ellen Bits is the, is the one that fucked with my head the most. I was like, <laughs> I can do all this, and and I probably, if I really wanted to change something in the code, I could you know do enough Stack Exchange searches, and I could find sort of Reddit somewhere. Someone will have some idea. You know, it's like I just to change your Node ID, so it's not just the number. You know, I want it to have a name. You got to find search around. You got to learn some stuff. But for me, here's the here's the first. And you got kids? No. Would you like my 31-year-old daughter? I can give you as many kids as you want. They're like, get them off my payroll. <laughs> um, uh, if I, I've, a recommendation is, you got kids, don't give them a fucking iPad. Give them an old laptop and a Linux distro on a USB drive and say, do this. Figure this shit out. Set this up. Make this thing work. That will be something that will, that will take your kid through many, many years of adult life in happiness because they will have learned that not everything has to come from the big tech man in the sky and they can do it and they can make it look the way they want to and encourage your kid to set up a mastodon on the same laptop help the kid break some ports open or whatever it is that's that's what we need to do you cannot you cannot live in this it's like when i was growing up you had to know how to put the chain back on the bike you had to know how to pump up a tire, change a flat. You had to know how to clean your spark plugs. <clears throat> you had to know all this stuff. Um, you know, automobiles were toast in that regard. I mean, you can't fix anything yourself. Um, but, our, but our computers and our technology, yeah, you can't do shit to your iPhone. But you can learn how to get an older device and put Graphene OS on it and use, um, you know, an open, an open app store um, and learn how to communicate with the people who make the software to make it work better the way you'd like it to work. 
Just because you can't code doesn't mean that you can't talk to someone and say, hey, man, here's a thought I had. I'm a user. I love your stuff. By the way, let me send you five bucks in sats. Thanks. Ooh. I do this all the time. Please, people, if you see someone asking for a coffee or a tip or value or whatever, do it. If you're using the piece of software, do it. Do love it. that advice. Great way to yeah. end up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. it it's, it's just as creative as podcasting. It's writing. And you can code something in a million ways like you can write a novel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where, where can people go to find out more about you and the Podcast Index? Well, podcastindex.org is where you can uh, find. I mean, it, it look, it's a directory, but there's, there's links there. You can find links to the apps. You can find links to all the podcasts that are value for value enable. Uh, if you're a developer, you can sign up there. You can even add your podcast. If for some reason it's not in the database, how crazy. Um, you can add it in there. Um, you can sign up at the podcaster wallet. So literally you search for your podcast. You click on the little lightning bolt and it takes you through the whole process. It'll even help you select a node so you can uh, value for value enable your podcast right away. Um, on Mastodon, I'm Adam at podcastindex.social. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but I'd prefer that you reach out to me uh, through the federated Mastodon. That's that's. And if you don't know what that is, kids, get a Mastodon account. It's the future. It's the future. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for pushing forward this podcasting 2.0 space. I've I've learned a ton in the last few months just trying it out, and it feels it's really empowering to to see it working, um, and to see it happen in real time. Uh, so thank you for all all you're doing uh, with the podcast index as well. It's, it's entirely my pleasure, Kevin, and thank you because uh, you're doing the actual work. I'm just here sitting in my studio coming up with shit, and, and then uh, we, I try to help motivate people to build it and, and use it. Uh, and I also want to compliment you. You have a very nice demeanor when you're interviewing. I look at you, and I keep saying, man, this, fucking, this guy is Tony Robbins' son. He's got something nice about him. So you have a very nice vibe, and it's nice, it's nice to listen to your show. I appreciate the kind words. Um, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. And thanks again. For Anytime you want, man, you just let me know. Awesome. Talk soon. Welcome to the lightning round presented by Voltage. Voltage is the industry leading provider of Bitcoin and lightning node infrastructure. In fact, many of your favorite apps and services already use Voltage to scale their business quickly and easily without maintenance. Voltage also offers an inbound liquidity product called Flow, which helps you as a node operator get inbound liquidity easily. Overall, Voltage is creating the industry standard suite of non-custodial products, helping brands, engineers, and startups scale. To learn more about Voltage, visit voltage.club. Okay, let's get into it. We had 16 different supporters send in sats this week. I believe that's another record high. Uh, I've kind of lost track at this point. The numbers just keep growing and growing. Uh, Real quick, I'll run through the top five. Mary Oscar sent in 3,769 sats. Y sent in 3,366. Bitboom sent in 1,386. Jeffrey sent in 1,188. And Rustin sent in 990 sats. That's what it takes to make the top five now. Um, there were 12 different episodes that were supported this week. I've only done 22 episodes. That's more than half of all the episodes uh, that I've ever done got sats this week, which is kind of cool. Also got a bunch of questions in. Uh, I'm going to read through them 
in order here of receipt because I can't order them by uh, number of sats yet on Fountain, but that's a feature request if anyone from Fountain is listening. Um, first up, we have Jacko who says, yo, on episode 19. Thanks for the comment and the sats, Jacko. Uh, we had Bitboom who says, damn, interesting show and super inspiring. And this is episode 22 with Elise Colleen. Uh, Bitboom says, I'd love a free month on Voltage. I'm trying to hook up a number of coffee shops in town to accept Lightning and a Voltage BTC Pay server would be awesome to use as a test case. Bitboom also left their Twitter handle. Bitboom, I'm sending you a code for a free month on Voltage. Uh, and that's the last free month code that I have. Uh, but we'll be doing more giveaways and contests in the future. Um, thank you for sending in the sats in the comment. Uh, Mary Oscar says hi. Thank you, Mary Oscar, for the comment and the sats. Y says great episode, and this is episode 22 with Elise Colleen. Um, fascinating look at the novel world of Bitcoin VC. Y also sends in another message that says, uh, how do various guests conceptualize the Bitcoin ethic? In this case, I'd love to hear uh, Elise's experience with Bitcoiners' reactions to VC. They seem somewhat antithetical. Also, Kian Kusha cued me into the strong open source ethos around BTC as well. How do VCs feel about open source and sharing code, etc.? Um, this is a great question. I'm going to send this one off to Elise because I think uh, she'd have a better answer. Uh, and you specifically asked for her her take, not mine. Um, so I'll send this off to Elise, and, and when she responds, I will. Uh, I'll let you know what she says on uh, the next episode. Uh, thank you for sending the question, though. Um, Jeffrey says, another great show. Love the predictions. I would put a voltage coupon to good use. Would give me an excuse to hack for a few weekends. Uh, Jeffrey also left their Twitter handle, but Jeffrey, your Twitter handle is not active right now. It says it looks like it's suspended, uh, the one you sent me. Um, so unfortunately, I can't reach out to you. Um, but if you have another Twitter handle or email, let me know. Uh, y says, great question in response to one of the questions uh, I asked in episode 22. And also says, Pink Frog, that's the, that's the name of the company that Elise was talking about, a Bitcoin gaming company. Um, if you want to check Pink Frog out, they are at pnkfrg.com. Um, and that's all the questions we had this week. Thank you all for sending in comments, questions, sats. Can't wait to see what you bring in this week. Um, I know there was a lot to go through in this episode. Uh, Adam dropped a ton of knowledge on podcasting 2.0, value for value. So if there's anything you guys want me to explain more or cover more, um, or if, any, if you have any questions for Adam that you'd like me to ask him, uh, send in some stats, send in your comments and questions, and I will get to them this week. See you soon.